Zechariah, Zechariah uh, chapter 1. I've got the notes there laid out for you. I just want to review a little bit. There's, we're looking at the eight visions in chapters 1 through 6. Uh, there's a list of how they can fit together. Uh, number 1 and 3 focus on, or 1 through 3 focus on Judah's return from captivity. 4 and 5 focus on the anointed of the Lord, which would be the Messiah and Zechariah or Joshua and Zechariah. And 6 through 8, visions focus on uh, the seed of wickedness and the removal of that wickedness. And then when you put them together, 1 through 8, uh, they kind of work out and back in. One, vision 1 and 8 gives a universal perspective and the omniscience of the Lord. We looked at one last, but it, last time, but it parallels with the eighth vision. The one we're looking at tonight, the second vision, the craftsman that cut the horns off, that parallels with number seven, which deal with international matters and Judah's relationship with the nations. And so our first vision tonight, the, the, those oppressors are going to be cut down. And then we're going to get into the third vision tonight, and that parallels with the sixth vision, uh, the national issues of Judah and Jerusalem, uh, particularly, they're both going to involve a measuring line and uh, obeying God's law and righteousness. And then the fourth and fifth vision, they're dealing with the temple and the leadership of the nation. And remember, as we begin this, this is coming right in the middle of the book of Haggai, or during those visions, and the temple has been started at what, when the book of Zechariah comes, and God has already said, blessing is going to start coming to Jerusalem uh, already through Haggai. Now Zechariah comes with his six messages and as we interpret these, put them together, uh, we need to, I think, one of the focuses is instead of looking down the road into eschatology, these are messages for those people at that time in, in 519 uh, or 519 when, when Zechariah is prophesying. It may have some ramifications eschatological, but these are eight visions that were to encourage the people, kind of tell them where they're at, and not just pep talks, uh, you know, to encourage them, but also give them direction, because there's, we're going to see that the, the third vision, the second one we talked about tonight, there was a time when Jeremiah made it very clear, you are going into exile, you belong in Babylon. Now, that's changed. It's time now to come back. In Jeremiah, when they went into, when, when Ezekiel in that second captivity went, Ezekiel wrote them a letter and says, hey, that's where you belong. Now, get married or get a job, buy a house, get married, have a family. You're going to be there for a while. Where now that's changed and now it's time for you to get back to Judah. And that just kind of goes with the ideal of Bible interpretation. Uh, all these verses have to be put in context somewhere. There's a time to go to Babylon, but there's also a time to come back from Babylon. And if you don't know the time and season, you're going to end up doing what was the right thing at a particular time. You're doing the wrong thing at the wrong time or the right thing at the wrong time. Now, we're not talking morals. We're not talking absolute truth and reality. We're talking about how you execute your Christian life. There was a time uh, where the law of Moses was the standard. But then there's a time where that law is fulfilled, and now we're in the age of grace. Uh, there's a time where we're waiting for the Messiah to come. There's going to be a time when the Messiah is here. And so all these things, you can't just take these out of context. And this is one of those things, one of the important things about these, these visions is God is, in a sense, catching the people up. It's like we're going to update what Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel says, not change it, but that was the contemporary message for you going into captivity. Now you're coming back. You're no longer under a curse. You're no longer being oppressed. I am now building you up. So start building and things will happen. Well, uh, here we go. Chapter 1. The first vision we looked at last week was a man among the myrtle trees. And that's where we saw the, the horses and the angelic riders that had gone out patrolling the earth. They came back and said the empire was at peace. And then the angel of the Lord asked, how much longer must we wait? And he was given kind and comforting words, meaning we're going to go out and stir things up. The nations are going to be brought down 
and Judah's going to be restored, and Judah will be blessed. And then that follows up with the second vision of the, of the eight, uh, which is the first vision for tonight. I'll read it in the NIV, then we'll look at it on the notes. Then I looked up, Zechariah says, and there before me were four horns. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, this is the, the interpreting angel that's going to go with Zechariah, what are these? He answered me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. So they're horns, they've scattered uh, Judah, Jerusalem, and Israel, and again, how important is that? Later on, Judah, only Judah is going to be mentioned. But they've scattered, and that word scattered is the word that is used when God scattered his people in the the dispersion or captivity, and eschatologically, when he restores them and brings them back from being scattered. Uh, Then the Lord, uh, these are those of horns, these horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I asked, what are these coming to do? He answered, these are the horn. Now here's again another interpretation of these horns. These are the horns that scattered Judah. Now notice Israel and Jerusalem are missing. Not that that's a big deal, but just notice. So that no one could raise his head. They scattered them, and also no one could raise their head. They oppressed them. But the craftsmen have come to terrify them uh, and throw down these horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter its people. And so now these horns are clearly identified as nations. Because at first they're just horns. And what do they represent? And it's kind of like a blank slate there. Do they represent, and I'll give you some options here, uh, what they can represent. But clearly at the end of this vision, they are nations. And I think, as I put this together, a nation, if it be you know, uh, Assyria or or Babylon, as they become a power, they'll expand and become an empire and oppress all the others or bring it all into their their rule. And so I'm going to be safe to think right here, their nations that rose up in power and took over, in a sense, the Middle East and became an empire. And that nation or that empire then scattered and oppressed Judah. Now that's the NIV reading right there. Now we go to the notes. Page 1, chapter 1, verse 18. And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. Now, I mentioned last week that it's not necessarily just four horns. Uh, we could probably assume that they're on some kind of an animal, like, you know, a bull or a beast or, or a ram or something. Uh, the horns, as you see on that point right there, number one, horns in the Bible are symbolic for strength. In this case, it's the strength of a nation or the strength of an empire. And I don't think, again, it's, it's not strange to assume that there's an animal associated with each of these horns, especially when you see, uh, coming right out of Babylon, Daniel's prophecy of, of, the, of the lion and the bear and the leopard with wings and then the iron beast. And many of them had horns. And you see horns on the beast in Revelation. So it's, I would assume it's some kind of a beast. Uh, the bull, for example, had, was the symbol of power, but the bull's horn represented all the power that the bull had. So if you had a bull, that was power. But if you had the bull's horn, that was the same thing. So this could be a bull. Psalm 18.2, just to kind of see this, this is a, a way of using the word. Uh, you've, you've used it before. Uh, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So right there listed with the Lord being the fortress, the deliverer, the rock, the refuge, the shield, the stronghold, the Lord is also considered a horn. It's the horn of my salvation. It's the strength of the salvation. That's used in a positive way. Turn the page on the notes. Psalm 75 uh, is used in a negative sense, uh, referring to what the Lord is going to do. All the horns of the wicked will be cut off. All the strength, all the power of the wicked. They do have power. They do have some kind of uh, control. They do have some place in this age. Uh, that is, you know, the ability to dominate, do what they want. But they will be cut off eventually, either in time, in eternity, when their time is up, when God's done using them, they'll be cut off. But 
the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. So now you've got also the righteous having horns or the, the righteous ways, the righteousness will be lifted up. It will not be cut off. It will be exalted, become even more powerful. Uh, point two, horns of an animal are trophies. Uh, point three, even though only the horns are mentioned, I put in there that they are probably beasts. And then there's a verse coming here that says that they, they experienced terror. The craftsmen uh, provided terror. So that would give the impression that these horns are on something that can be terrified like an animal. Chapter 1, verse 19, the second verse of this vision. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, these horns? And he said to me, these are the horns that scattered Judah, Jerusalem, and Jerusalem. The main thing is that the word there is scattered. They are the ones that dispersed. And it was under God's direction that they dispersed them. God, God allowed that, caused that, set it up to bring about his will to discipline Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Now, what are these four horns? And it, 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 we will mention it. Uh, first, look at point three. Um, it does not seem more speci- uh, it does seem more specific in, in chapter one verse twenty one that these horns are nations, uh, but otherwise these horns are not. Uh, oh, I'm where am I? I'm looking at verse three. I want to be in point two. Point two, and looking per- specifically point two C. The text does not say or explain exactly what the horns are. It's just they're just these horns. Later on, it's going to say they're nations. Uh, the horns may be considered, and this is some ideas on when the commentators are trying to explain them, they may speak of general oppression, you know, just general oppression on Israel, and that there's four of them, just like the four winds or the four spirits uh, refer to all the directions or an, an all-inclusive, you know, he's going to gather them from the four winds of heaven. It means from everywhere. And so in a sense, four horns could mean all the nations that oppress Israel. I mean, that, that's, I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying that's kind of where you could begin. Um, and then uh, more specifically, point three, I, I referred to already, they scattered Judah, meaning they dispersed them under God's direction. Then they oppressed Judah. It, Judah couldn't lift up their head. Uh, they lifted their national empire, their power, over the nation of Judah's power. Then, who cut these horns, the nation's empires down, the next sequential empire is going to cut them down. That's going to be the craftsman that's coming up next. Uh, Point one and two I've got listed there. Um, Judah was oppressed by Babylon and Rome. Now you've got to ask the question, are these four empires in 519 that have already come, like you know, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, and Persia. Those would be the four that rose up and been cut down, rose up and were cut down. Or are you going to go with Daniel and it'd be Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome? Or are you going to go with the idea that it's Persia followed by Greece and then Rome and then the kingdom of the Antichrist, the revised Roman Empire, uh, I mean, I, 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 it doesn't, I don't think you can say. It, it doesn't make it specific what it is. You can have an opinion. I do not think it means, like I was saying, all-inclusive, all the powers, all the nations of all time. I think it refers to a sequence, one, two, three, four. Um, and, well, let's read the next part, next verse. Uh, then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And the craftsmen are going to bring the terror. They're going to terrorize these horns or these beasts with the horns. And there's the word craftsman. It is the word heresim. It can be translated engraver or artifactor or artificer. It's, it's someone that's working. Anytime you're taking a material and converting it into something. And it can refer to, yeah, point 1A, an artisan, a blacksmith, a carpenter, a craftsman, an engraver, a stonemason, working with metal, working with wood, working with stone. And, and that's, that's how general it is. And they're coming with some kind of tools. Uh, is it a saw? Is it a hammer? Usually the craftsman, when you see a craftsman, this word, 
they're building something they're constructing something they're 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 constructing a building uh they're they're shaping stones to be put into a temple uh they're they're designing something for the tabernacle like they're designing some of the furniture in this case it's just the reverse they're destroying something an empire has been built a beast has arisen they've got power they're coming now to tear it down and so that is the craftsman we do not know if they're blacksmiths if they're carpenters if they're stonemasons it's not specific if they've got a saw they're going to saw off the horn they're going to just like you shape a a stone with a hammer and chisel are they going to chisel off the horn we don't know this it just says the lord showed me four craftsmen then of course zachariah says in chapter 1 verse 21 and i said what are these coming to do? What, what, here comes the here, They've got their little yellow hats on, their little orange vest. They've got their toolboxes. They're coming, and it's the construction crew. Beep, 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 beep. They're backing their trailer up. It's like, what are they going to do? These are the horns that scattered Judah. He identifies the horns again. These horns have scattered Judah. Again, that was in God's plan. God designed them. God allowed them to come and do the work. So that no one raised his head. They scattered, they were oppressed. And these, these craftsmen, have come to terrify them. To cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. So now you, now again, in my mind, uh, who, who, who did this? It could be angelic forces. It could be spiritual forces that are coming to stop each of these powers. But if you go in the historical setting, uh, who defeated Babylon, the horn cutter was Cyrus. Who is going to end Persia? The horn cutter is going to be Alexander. Who's going to end Greece? It's going to be Rome. Who's going to end Rome or the rising empire of the Antichrist? It's going to be, in this case, the Lord himself would be one of the craftsmen who's going to come and cut down now, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say the Lord will be the final craftsman. But if you go into sequence, eventually the Lord is going to come and finally do it himself and cut down the final horn. And you can see that. That's recorded in Revelation where he captures the beast and destroys the, the armies of the Antichrist. But that's what's being said right here. And the reason for this is Israel, they, they've returned, but they see that the nations, just like the, the original vision this is a time in 519, Darius has established peace. He's established rule. There's been revolts. He's put them down. He writes himself in Persian documents that, you know, these revolts have come up. I put them down. We've got peace. And Judah's looking like, well, we're still under the domain. Only reason we're on the map is Persia has allowed us. Cyrus, Darius have allowed us to be here. We are under the, the protection of the, the nations, the Gentiles. Well, this is saying right here, no, we're going back to the plan. Israel is God's chosen people. When they were disobedient, he brought in the nations to scatter them, to oppress them. But that is not the plan. Israel is designed to be God's chosen, God's anointed, with the purpose of blessing the nations, of serving the nations and bringing the light to them. Now it's taking place. Well, what about these horns? Israel still, again, this is about uh, a self-perspective. They see themselves, they've heard, they've read Jeremiah. They, all his words came to pass. It's been a period of several decades, and now they realize who they are. They've been rebellious. They got into captivity. Ezekiel come, he chewed them all out. They know they've been, they've been oppressed by God. They can argue the case, but now history is proven. You are under the oppression of Yahweh. You're, where's your temple? You're in Babylon. Well, now God brings them back. Oh, they're all excited. They're going to be restored. They come back to Jerusalem. It's rubble. You're supposed to build a temple. They started, but there was oppression for 20 years. They didn't get it done. Well, now God has come and says it's time to do it. And so now they're fired up. They're going to start. But even like you see in Haggai, they look. It's, it doesn't look like much. God says, don't, no, don't look at it that way. This is going to amount to something. We're going somewhere with this. So they've got a very low self-esteem. They still haven't necessarily been convinced that God is on their side, although Haggai's just told them, blessing starts today. This vision comes alongside and says, 
there's been four horns that have come by and have scattered Israel, scattered Judah, scattered Jerusalem. But I am cutting each of those horns down or crushing them or breaking their power. I'm terrifying the nations. Why? Because I'm restoring you. You are not going to stand because Persia lets you stand. I'm going to cut Persia down. You're going to stand. I'm taking the training wheels off. You're going to stand because the Lord is going to make you stand. And that's the point of the vision is do not look to the nations. They're going to be disciplined and you're going to be standing by yourself. And that is, again, the, the ideal of those, those, uh, that, that second vision. And again, it parallels with the seventh one where it's talking about the world look, the world view, the, the nations, and Judah's relationship with those nations. In this case, the nations are going to be cut down and you're going to stand alone. You're being restored by the Lord. And that leads into chapter 2. We've got 13 verses here and I'll read them in the NIV and then we'll go through them in the English Standard and make some comments on it. And understand this. This is going to involve a measuring line. I'll just say a tape measure. And it's probably more than a tape measure. It's, uh, a, it's going to be a lot longer. And they're going to be measuring the city, Jerusalem. And what you're going to see is there's going to be no walls, which is a concern. These people, as we saw in Ezra, because we started reading Ezra, during this time when they started building the temple, the oppression, it, it, the opposition began here. And it, it affected them for 20 years. But now when they begin building the temple again, the oppression intensifies. The people surrounding there do not want the temple built. But God says, build it. And because you started building it, I'm going to bless you. But they're also looking, you know, you've got the temple. You're also looking at, you need some kind of protection. You need, you know, a, a wall. And it's not much of a city because it, it's like they've just been kind of pieces piecing it together for this period of time and so there's not much of a city and if there was a city there's not any protection is and they're building this temple just on mount moriah just out in a sense out in the open so there's going to be some concern about you to think it doesn't say it specifically but you know jerusalem is not much it's not much of a city it's small it's, it's more of a, a, a village, more of a community with a temple. That's not much of a temple when compared to what it used to be. So it's a small city, and if it does get any bigger, who's going to protect it? Where are the walls at? So just like they've started building the temple, there's got to be talk amongst them about, we've got to get some kind of protection. Well, this is going to deal with the growth of the city. It's going to deal with the walls of the city that you don't need them. You don't, you're not going to need these walls. Now, it's interesting. Nehemiah, by 445, is going to realize we need the walls. But during this period right here, this is going to be a time to build the walls. God is going to send Nehemiah to build the walls. In 519, they're going to be told in this vision, you don't need the walls. God says, I'll be the, wa- I'll be the fire protecting the city. You don't need walls. But then, by 445, Nehemiah comes and actually builds the walls. And it appears God is and Ezra, there were, Nehemiah and Ezra are working together, apparently under God's direction. So once again, you've got timing right here. Build the temple, don't worry about the walls. Now the temple's up and running, 445. Now, let's build the walls. Well, we don't need to build the walls. God says there'll be a fire around it. No, now you need the walls. It's, like, it's just a matter of, of timing. Uh, and that's where, if you look in here, that is where the prophet comes in. You can have a prophet talking about the future and coming and speaking of God's judgment because you're being disobedient. But in this case, the prophet is coming by and kind of catching them up. It's like there was a time where you go to Babylon, but there's a time you come back from Babylon. There's a time you build a temple, don't worry about the walls. But there's a time where, okay, now it's time to worry about the walls. It's, it's about timing. Again, not a moral issue, but what is, are we building the walls? Are we building the temple? Are we going to Babylon? Are we coming back? What, what are we doing? And that's kind of the, the, the prophet. You can see when the prophecies stopped during the, during the time of the Maccabees, they had certain decisions, particularly what I'm thinking about is when the altar was desecrated by uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, offered pig's blood on it, 
they, and they recaptured the temple finally, they knew that, that they couldn't use that altar, but they didn't know what to do. And it's like, well, we need the prophet. We need a prophet. And we, they said, we, there is no prophet. So they said they would just set all the stones here to the side, do the best they could, and wait for a prophet to say, okay, what do we do with this? And just like, what do we do? Do we go to Babylon? Do we stay in Babylon? Do we come back? Do we build a wall? What, what should we build, a temple or the walls first? Well, the prophets are telling, Haggai says, build the temple. Zechariah says, don't worry about the walls. So they're getting that kind of direction. And so that kind of gives you an insight into what, how they would use the prophet. You can see David having a prophet. They ask the prophet questions. Uh, do we go to battle today? Do we go to battle tomorrow? What, what does God want us to do? We're going to go to battle, but when? And so that's kind of what Zechariah is doing in these eight visions, is kind of giving them some specifics for their time period. And that helps us interpret this instead of, well, he's talking about the church age. Well, you can make, get application from the church age, maybe, as long as you keep it in perspective. You say, well, you see, it's, it's time to build the temple. That means it's time for Generation Word to start a building program. No, not a, that, that that's, has no connection. You better find out if Generation Word is supposed to have a building program. Yeah, but I've got a verse right here that they're supposed to build the temple, so we're going to start have a Generation Word cathedral. Based on what? Well, they told them to build a temple. That, not the same thing. That That's... That's irresponsible. Uh, you're going to have to have some, you know, a little more insight from your own direction. Now, there's a time to build, but there's also time not to build. You can see it here. So is this a time to build or not to build? And that's, we're not talking about that tonight. But I'm just using it as an example. No, there's no building program starting with Generation Word. Uh, we're live streaming from the family room and meeting in, uh, I guess we got a building program right here. Thank you, Larry. <laughs> chapter 2 then i looked up and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand i asked where are you going now again as you go through this you're going to have several players you're going to have the interpreting angel and you're going to have a man with a measuring line and there's going to come a couple times where someone speaks and they're talking and then there's going to be another speaker and it's not always real clear and i may be i may make a mistake but sometimes it, someone says something, and then right away there's something else said, and it's like it'd be easy just to read it together like it's the same person. But if you s- separate it, it may be two or three people talking in conversation because you've got the angel of the Lord present. You've got Zechariah, who's giving a message to the people. You've got angel or angels talking to Zechariah and his messenger angel. And then you've got this man with the measuring line. And the man, when it says a man with a measuring line, that is the word A-D-A-M, Adam. It means man. And then in verse 3, it says, Then the angel who was speaking to me, that is the word malach, which means messenger or angel. So the man may be an angel. Sometimes it's identified as a man. Uh, You know, an angel appears as a man, like the three men appeared to Abraham. One was the Lord and two were angels, but they're identified as angels men coming uh i definitely think this man with the major line is a spiritual being but it's not identified as an angel with the same it's it's something different all right and then in verse six i I should say this too we're talking about this right here and then in verse six of this vision the whole direction changes and it becomes more uh, instructive on what they're supposed to be doing because this is true. So verse 6, there's going to be a change of direction. Let me read it here and, and you can hear this. Then I looked up and there before me was a man with a measuring line in his hand. I asked, where are you going? He answered me. So this man answers Zechariah. To measure Jerusalem, to find out how wide and how long it is. Again, he's made. Is he? Is he? He's apparently plotting it out. How big is it? How big is it going to be? We, this, how big it is? We're going to be expanding. How much room do we have? He's he's like a surveyor. Then the angel who was speaking to me, uh, speaking to me, left, and another angel came to meet him. So now you've got a man over there who Zachariah is talking to. The angel that is with Zachariah, he leaves. And, uh, uh, 
and another angel came to meet him. So he goes away, and now comes up another. Is this other angel the angel of the Lord? So the angel that's talking to Zechariah goes away. Here comes another angel up. They're going to have a little conference, get some more information. So you can see the angels exchanging information. If you want to say the man is an angel, he's measuring. You've got Zechariah talking to him. You've got the messenger angel getting information from another angel. And we know the Lord has already spoken in other visions. Then the angel who was speaking to me left, and another angel came to meet him and said to him, Run, tell that young man who's measuring the city, Jerusalem will be a city without walls. Now, if we put this in perspective, Zachariah sees a man measuring, and he's measuring the city that is. Okay, this is how where everything's going to go. And then the angel who's standing by Zachariah, Zachariah's talking, he's just waiting to interpret something. Oh, yes. Another angel is approaching, and it's probably the angel of the Lord. Doesn't say that. He goes, well, what is it? He goes, tell that young man. That's, that's not, it's going to be a lot bigger than that. The, Jerusalem's not going to be that big. It's going to be a lot bigger. You're going to need three or four measuring lines. So he was measuring what is, and Zechariah's watching it. Another angel comes to tell them, run and tell that young man who's measuring, Jerusalem will be a city without walls. In other words, they're laying out, this is how big it is. We're going to put a wall around what we've got. We've got this little village. Let's get, maybe he's getting ready to measure out the wall. He's like, no, no, tell that man, no, stop. We're not building a wall. Jerusalem's going to keep growing. You can't build a wall today. Just let it grow. Jerusalem will be a city without walls because of the great number of men and livestock in it. And notice again, the livestock, there's going to be men and animals in this city. And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord. Now, that's, is that the angel of the Lord who's talking to the messenger angel who's interpreting for Zechariah? Or is now, is this the Lord speaking to one of the angels who's speaking to the man, you see? So I'm going to say this is the angel of the Lord. says, no, 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 that's, no. Let me correct you guys. We're not, the city's going to be bigger. And I'll, I, listen, don't worry about the wall. I'll protect it. I'll be a wall of fire. Just let this city grow. That's what we're doing. We're cutting down the nations. Jerusalem's going to start growing. The temple's going. You don't need a wall. And I will be its glory within. So right there, he's going to be the protection around the outside and the glory within, in the temple. That's the end of that vision, but now here comes another oracle along with it. Come, come. That's the NIV. We'll talk about that. Flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. So, a man's measuring the city. It's this big. The Lord, maybe, the angel Lord, comes to the angel talking to Zachariah and says, tell that man, no, it's going to be a lot bigger than that. It, it, and I, I'll protect it. I'll be inside. I'll be outside. Just don't, may, don't build a wall. And then he turns and gives a command. Come, the NIV says. And that's not exactly the right, well, you'll see the word. Uh, it's, a, it's more of a command get out of Babylon. It's, we went to Babylon, but if you're still in Babylon, you're in the wrong place. It's happening here. Get back here where you belong. Uh, For I have scattered you to the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Verse 7, come, O Zion, escape, you who live in the daughter of Babylon. For this is what the Lord Almighty says. After he has honored me, and that's, we'll come back to that translation, and has set me against the nations that have plundered you for whoever touches you touches the apple of my eye i will surely raise my hand against them the nations so that their slaves will plunder them so that's there the horn cutters there are the slaves and that was even prophesied by jeremiah that babylon would fall to their slaves i will surely raise my hand against them so that their slaves will plunder them then you will know that the lord almighty has sent me again who are all these people shout and be glad o daughter of zion for i am coming and i will live among you declares the lord many nations will be joined with the lord in that day again i'm going to throw this in there that's probably eschatological meaning Jerusalem is going to be built, and then this may just all of a sudden springboard into the kingdom of God when the nations are going to be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. Not necessarily in Zechariah's day, I'm going to say, but you've got to consider if that's right or not. 
I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. The Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Verse 13, the end of this section. Be still before the Lord, all mankind, because he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. And that idea, just we'll talk about when we get there, be still before the Lord, it means be silent, meaning God is doing something so awesome, there's no way you can appreciate it, comprehend it, respond to it. Just be silent and stand in awe at what God is doing. Just be silent. God is doing something. What is he doing? He has roused himself from his, he has left heaven and has come here and is doing a work. It's miraculous. It's, it's supernatural. What's your response? Just be silent and just stand in awe. It's like you can say, oh, well, praise God. I mean, you, you can't even respond. It's like, it's just so overwhelming. What, what has happened? He's left his dwelling and look what he's doing. And so again, you can see how that's encouraging for the people of that time. Now going to the notes, bottom of page three. Now we've got the English Standard Version. Beginning this third vision, the second vision of the night. And I lifted my eyes and saw, so this is now Zechariah looking up and seeing another vision. I behold a man with a measuring line in his hand. Again, that's clearly a construction tool. Maybe building on the craftsmen. They've, they've, the, the construction crew showed up. They cut down the horns. Now they're going to start building up Jerusalem. They're out measuring. You know, how we're going to get ready to build a wall. Um, and I write these points on page four. Uh, it's divine protection. This is about divine protection and miraculous restoration. That's, that's what God is talking about in this vision. You're going to be divinely protected, and it's going to be miraculous. You can't even imagine what's going to happen to Jerusalem. It's, it's beyond understanding. Now, the question will come, when is this expansion going to happen? Uh, you know, is it Zechariah's day? Is it when Nehemiah comes? When Nehemiah comes, and we'll see this later on, Nehemiah is going to come in the city, doesn't have a wall, and it's not very well populated, even by Nehemiah's day. So he's going to, uh, with, with Ezra, they're going to have a, a, a lot, not a lot, what do you call it? A, yeah, a lottery. Where, okay, I can't remember what it is, you know, one out of every ten families has got to move to Jerusalem. Yeah, but I like my place. Put your name in the hat. We're going to draw. You may be moving to Jerusalem. We need to populate the city. And they're going to just draw. It's like, sorry, you guys are moving to the town. It's like, sell your property, get into town. And they're going to draw these names out, and they're going to, populate the city it's going to be a government governmental decree uh no one wants to live in the city there's nothing there well there's nothing here because no one's here so you're going to move in you're going to move in you're moving in and that's what's happening right here so is this talking about the city growing in these days you'd think it's talking about the exiles coming back is it talking about nehemiah's day is it talking about after the Seleucids came in and then you've got Herod reigning in the New Testament time when Jerusalem becomes a major city, you've got all of Herod's construction. Is Herod fulfilling this? Uh, some would say, and again, I totally disagree with this, uh, it's the church, the church age. You know, and everybody's saved. And the church is now going to be where the city expands. And that's, that's reform-type teaching, replacement theology. I don't think that has anything to do with it. Uh, but throw it out there and think about it. Uh, or is it talking about ultimately when Jesus comes back and the millennial kingdom is set up and we've got the measuring, Ezekiel measures that city. He's, he's got all the, the, all the where people are going to be living. It's going to be a glorious city. Uh, he, he sees it in a vision. He, he visits it. So it could be any of those. I would say as we go through this, it's got to be speaking to the people that are coming back during uh, Zachariah's time, but is is it still projecting up into nehemiah's time where nehemiah helps finish it now again nehemiah is going to start building the wall so right here this is during a time where there is no wall and the city is expanding so now it would seem it's got to be taking place beginning in 519 the city's going to start growing so that by the time nehemiah and ezra get there there is a city there it's just not as big as they'd like it to be but remember they do build a wall at that time which would seem to put an end to this 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 prophecy um there i've got uh point three and point four talk about the word the man angel jeremiah prophesied this rebuilding in chapter 32 i could go read that ezekiel talked about it uh but ezekiel's talking more about in the 
uh, the millennial kingdom. These verses with amazing line, you've got Zechariah 2, Ezekiel 40. That's very similar to what you see John in, John, or in Revelation chapter 11. It says John is given a, a reed like a measuring rod and is told to go measure the temple and the altar. So that he's, he's taking measurement. So this, you see the measuring taking place in Ezekiel and in Revelation. Uh, point seven, the focus is to be on building the temple. And that, meaning if we're, we're putting this together with the book of Haggai, the focus is not on the wall. The focus is already on the temple. That's exactly what these people are doing. And that's why they're being blessed. They're building the temple. The focus is not on building a wall. God is saying, you don't have your eyes set high enough. You're looking at your city right now. You're building the temple thinking, well, nothing's going to happen in the city. No, no, this city is going to explode. Why? Because I'm going to make it explode. He's, I'm meaning explode with growth, not in terrorism. Uh, Okay, chapter 2, verse 2. Then I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. I can think he's not measuring to see how big they can make it or how big it's going to be. He's measuring it to see how, what is its width and its length right now in 519. And that measuring process gets interrupted apparently by another angel, maybe the angel of the Lord, coming to talk to the man and the angel that's talking to Zechariah. And that's chapter 2, verse 3. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him. So now you've got a council of angels, and the angel that's approaching Zechariah's angel is going to give him information. And that information is, no, don't measure. This is not the end result of the city. I've got a different plan for the city. It's going to get a lot bigger. And this is news for the people because the people were probably fine. This is how big the city is. Okay, it's a small temple, small city. Uh, let's get settled in. And the angel of the Lord or an angel comes and says, no, don't settle in. This is going to expand. Uh, oh, I'm looking at all these things. Yeah, point two, I get, those are all the things we've talked about. You know, was it Nehemiah or before Nehemiah, after Nehemiah? Other prophets, oh, let me read this, point three on page five. Other prophets uh, talking about this time of rebuilding. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel had already talked about this very thing. Notice the wording. Because the angel of the Lord says, no, this is going to be filled with people and and their animals. This is going to grow. Isaiah in 49.19 says, Surely your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land, surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants and those who swallowed you up will be far away. Now notice that's exactly what's taking place here. Isaiah is talking before Jerusalem was laid waste. He's saying now there's a day coming after you've been destroyed that what's what you come back to is going to be too narrow it's going to be too crowded you're going to start to grow you and your animals and those that oppress you they're going to be gone now that's exactly what's being said in chapter 2 of zechariah jeremiah chapter 31 verse 27 behold the days are now remember jeremiah's whole message was whoa 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 you're all going into captivity jerusalem's going to burn but in chapter 31 of jeremiah that's the new covenant Behold, he had a dream. There's a new, something great is going to happen after this destruction. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. Notice right there, man and beast. And that's why the angel Lord can come and say, this man in this vision begins, he's measuring the city. And the angel Lord comes in and says, if it's the angel Lord, the other angel comes and says, no, 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 tell the man, no, this is going to be a land filled with men and a, a city filled with men and beasts. How does he know? Well, Isaiah and Jeremiah have already prophesied. No, this is what I'm talking about. This is the time for the city to explode with growth. Ezekiel 36, 11. And I will multiply on you man and beast, and they shall multiply and be fruitful. And I will cause you to be inhabited as in your former times and will do more good to you than ever before, then you will know that I am the Lord. So Zechariah 2, 
uh, Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 31, Isaiah 49 are all saying the same thing. You're coming back from destruction to a place that's too small for you. Don't stop there because I am planning on restoring you to your former glory or greater. You're going to have men and beasts in this city. You're going to have a, need a lot of space. In fact, you won't even be able to put it in a wall. I'll have to protect it. So this really is, in a sense, not even a new prophecy. It's just them being told this is the time that the verses of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel are, we're applying it right now. This is when it's going to happen. Otherwise, just they're kind of prophecies just kind of out there. When are they going to take place? God is saying right here, now, 519, we're fulfilling these verses now, or at least a phase of them. Chapter 2, verse 4, bottom of page 5. And I said to him, run and say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. It's going to be inhabited. You, you're not, you can't measure this. Put that tape measure away. It's just going to start to expand. And I will be her wall of fire around. Now that's got to be before Nehemiah's time. And it can all, obviously, uh, even with a, a stone wall, you still need the Lord's protection. But the idea here is you're not going to need to build a wall. I'll protect you declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. I'm going to be coming inside into the temple, and the city that's growing, I'll be the wall. I'll live in the temple. I'll be the wall. You just work on growth and, and understanding, looking for the blessing of the Lord. Uh, now, chapter 2, verse 6, this is where it changes. That was about the city, but this is what has to happen. Now, these are now commands. In the, in the NIV, it was, uh, what was the word, uh, the phrase was, uh, yeah, uh, verse 6, come, come, flee from the land of the north. Now on the bottom of page 6 in the English Standard, it says, up, up, it's a command, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. He says, because I, I've scattered you, I'm the one who just scattered you through these nations, but now I'm going to bring you back. So up, up, get back. Leave Babylon. It's no longer your home. Uh, if you look, uh, in fact, yeah, look on the next page, page 7. You're going to have to look uh, at the, the Hebrew uh, section at the top, verse 6. Remember, you're reading from the right to the left. And you see it says, up, up, that word how, how in the Hebrew. If you look down into point 2, the first words in the Hebrew translate up, up, or come, which is hoy, H-O-Y, I should have had that in italics, which means ho or woe. It's the same word, woe, woe is to you, woe unto you. It's, it's a warning. It's like, hey, hey, woe. What, the idea, whoa, whoa, what are you doing in Babylon? He's coming to his people, Zechariah. The prophets are where? They're in Jerusalem. Haggai's there. Zechariah's there. The high priest is there. They're building the temple. It's like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing in Babylon? Get out of there. What are you, what are you thinking? We're back here. And it's a call for them to get back to uh, Jerusalem. God's people should be confident and build, uh, point one, start working. Those still in Babylon. So the first part of this, if you're in Jerusalem, Keep working, keep growing. You're in the right place, the right time. Good things are going to happen. But hey, if you're in Babylon, get out of Babylon. Get back here. It's time to come home. Uh, point two, this woe or hoy, this shows strong emotion. It's usually introduced with a warning. I'm not sure my spell check stopped working right now. I, I don't know why it stopped working. So, so right from this point on, you're going to have a bunch of misspelled words because I keep waiting for that red line to pop up so I can click it. I type it. It's like, that don't look right. Where's the red line? Oh, no, it's not spell checking. No, that's happening right here at this point. So from here on in, I'm going to have to be like, have to have some kind of Rosetta Stone to translate what is being said. Uh, this show, Strong Emotion, usually introduces a warning. It is addressing the exile still in Babylon. Now, uh, we don't make a big deal about it, but not everybody, and, and we know this from going through Jeremiah and other books, not everybody got in a little, you know, uh, uh, march and march to babylon some of them fled and some of them fled you can see in jeremiah 40 some fled to moab some fled to ammon we know they fled to edom because that's the whole book of of uh not nahum uh the book uh about edom nahum was about nineveh i get always get you know what i'm talking about 
Obadiah. Obadiah was about Edom helping Babylon, and, and people were fleeing from Jerusalem down to Edom, and the Edomites were helping Babylon catch him. So some fell, uh, fled to Moab, some fled to Ammon, some fled to Edom. Of course, Jeremiah and those went to Egypt. They weren't supposed to. But they've already gone there, and it's time for them to start coming back. Verse, chapter 2, verse 7, Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. In other words, right here is in Zechariah, the message of the people is it's wrong to be in Babylon. Now understand, we've got some people over there that are going to be very important in the rest of the Bible. Esther and Mordecai. Esther's going to become the queen of Persia. It would appear that they're supposed to be back here. Uh, Nehemiah and Ezra. There were, Nehemiah works for the empire. So you've got to be kind of careful on, on how to do this. Ezra's going to come back, and he's going to return to Babylon. Nehemiah's going to be given a, a, a several years to come work in Bab- uh, Jerusalem, but he's got to go back and report to Artaxer. He's given a a leave of absence for a certain amount of time, but he can't stay forever. He belongs in Babylon, according to Artaxerxes. And then, of course, Esther and Mordecai, they're heroes of the faith, but with this idea here, they're, they're supposed to be back. So I can't speak for Nehemiah and Ezra, Esther and Mordecai and some of those, but this is saying very clearly, if you're in Babylon, you're in the wrong place, you should be back here. And many of the Jews stayed there. Here's the verse, chapter 2, verse 7. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of my eye, of his eye. That is a little uh, parenthesis right there. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Chapter 2, verse 8 is interesting. There's a line right there, and I, I'll show it to you. Let me look and see what time it's getting to be here. Uh, where it says... For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory. Now turn on to page 8 and look right there uh, in the Hebrew. For thus says Yahweh of hosts. And it says, see the word, after glory he sent he to the nations. That is, I've got like five different translations. That is a tough translation. After glory glory so thus says the lord of hosts and he says this after glory he sent he to the nations so the niv wrongly adds the word me in there as in after the glorious one has sent me against the nations so what they're saying the niv says that should be translated after uh the glorious one has sent me against the nations. so the glorious one is going to send someone against the nations zachariah the angel the messiah so that's kind of like what and it's it's a tough verse to translate some say it refers to the messiah coming after the messiah or some translate it afterwards honor will will send me honor will send me somewhere Zechariah's mission would bring honor and glory to Israel as he has sent me for his glory. In other words, Zechariah was being sent for God's glory with this message. Uh, the best interpretation may be this, to understand glory, because the word is after and glory. Now, glory can be God's glory. God, it can be an appearance of God. And again, I'm not saying this is right, but I, I'm saying you've got to look at this. The best interpretation may be to understand glory as meaning this vision. This vision was the glory. After this vision, the Lord sent Zechariah. So after, Za- after he sees this vision, Zechariah is going to be sent. Uh, again, and, and then he says right here, the reason he's sending him because, if you read that, for thus says Yahweh of hosts, after this glory, this glorious appearance, this vision, he sent Zechariah to the nations. Why? Uh, which plundered you. Why? Because he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. In other words, this message is being sent to the nations because why? Well, they touched Judah. And they need to understand you don't touch the apple. God will flinch. You touch Judah, he's going to react instantaneous. 
Just like if you touch someone's eyeball, they're going to react. You touch Judah, he, it's an instant reaction. He, he's not going to let that go by. And so, and so here comes the message to the nations, chapter 2, verse 9. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, the nations. This sounds just like the horn cutters or craftsmen, the craftsmen. And they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Again, they're slaves or Judah will end up plundering them. All the nations that they oppress will take plunder from them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Uh, the angel is speaking, or Zechariah is speaking. But when you see this happen, Persia is in control. They're oppressing Judah. Judah's got to get permission from Persia. Now, someone has touched the apple of God's eye, and after this vision, after this glory, we're going to pronounce this is going to start to take place. After this, Persia is going to start to realize you did something wrong, and you, you may not believe it, you may not be able to understand it, but this is going to flip around. Judah is going to be the one that's in control as Persia declines and God brings in a horn cutter of Greece or the craftsman, cuts Persia down, and Judah is going to just continue. Persia is going to end. This powerful Persia is going to end after they've cut down Babylon. But Persia is going to end, but Judah is going to just keep right on going into the New Testament. Uh, so that's, that's what the message is for the nations. Chapter 2, verse 10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Once again, the nations are going to be punished, but I'll dwell with you. The Lord's returning to Israel. Chapter 2, verse 11 is interesting because he's just talking about judging the nations. Israel's going to be restored. But what's the result of Israel being restored? It goes right back to Genesis chapter 12. What was the purpose of Israel? To bless the nations. So God's purpose is not to raise Israel up to crush the nations. The nations were used to discipline Judah, but when they disciplined Judah, they touched the apple of God's eye. You've got to be brought down and put in your place. Israel's going to be restored, and when Israel's restored, then they can do their purpose, which is to bless all the nations, and that leads you into the end times. Uh, and, the, and many nations will join themselves to the Lord in that day. And I think now we're now into a prophecy eschatologically. In Zechariah's day, Persia's going to start to decline. Judah's going to stabilize and just start to grow and just keep on growing. Don't even measure the city. But the nation's going to be brought down. But as Israel achieves its purpose, then they be, God's going to dwell with them. And when God is dwelling with Israel, then all the nations will join Israel you know, as being blessed in that day, and shall be my people. The, gen the very nations he's going to tear apart, they're going to become God's people. Thus, we're in the church age heading towards the millennium. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. When you see, when you see Persia decline and Judah arise, you'll know the Lord has sent me. When you see Judah's uh, expanding, and then all of a sudden the nations that have been cr crushed or thrown off, them all joining Israel and worshiping the Lord, then you'll know the Lord has sent this message. These are, these are prophecies you look for. For example, how do you know the word of God is true? How do you know God sent this? Because Babylon came and fell to Persia. Babylon crushed Judah. Persia restored Judah. Persia fell to Greece. Judah kept going. The solutions came, oppressed Judah. Judah overthrew the, the Greeks. Rome came. Rome fell eventually. Judah was sent into captivity or dispersed again in 70 AD. But they're going to come back because they, when they come back, uh, they will then draw all nations to the Lord. And you'll see all these things take place. As you see this take place, you know these these prophecies are true the very fact israel's still on the map and that this thing is hanging over them it should cause even the skeptics to wonder what is going on because if israel does what this says they're going to become great in the nation and eventually god is going to draw all the nations and they will come to jerusalem and then it goes on and says in chapter 2 verse 12 and the lord will inherit judah as his portion in the end judah will be his portion in the holy land and and he again will choose Jerusalem. He will come, dwell in Jerusalem again, eschatologically. And that's chapter 2, verse 13. We already mentioned that. When you see this happen, when you watch this historically just transpire, 
then you be silent, all flesh. Believers and unbelievers, you be silent before the Lord as he's doing this because it is totally amazing. You won't believe it. You're going to be in awe. For he has roused himself from his holy dwelling and he's going to do this very thing. So you can see there that kind of covers contemporary time in 519, but also encouraging the people, but also projects into the future saying, you know this is true because these things are just going to keep happening just like he says. So that's that second or that third vision. Uh, the man of the measuring line. And he's not measuring the city to see how big it's, uh, it's going to be, but measuring the city because that's how big it is. And God says, stop measuring. It's going to get a lot bigger. I'll pray and we'll be done with this. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into these things tonight. We ask that we would honor you with our lives, that we would understand these things and apply them. We do, again, thank you for you, your self-controlling history and we can stand in awe watching these things take place and knowing with full confidence, even when we don't understand it, that you are leading and guiding history to its destination. We do thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your time.